listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. We've been doing this series called The Essentials. And there's eight of them that we call doctrinal belief essentials. There are things that we are to believe uh, that Scripture teaches, and and those things, those truths that we find in Scripture are called doctrine. It's just simply a, a truth statement that we gather. God said it, and we believe it. And when we make that statement of what we believe, that's a doctrinal statement. Well, at Oasis Church, we have a long doctrinal statement. It's on our website. I would encourage you to read it. It tells you what we believe about a whole lot more things than you're probably interested in. But in that doctrinal statement will be at the beginning, eight doctrinal essentials, eight essential beliefs. We are, we are open to anybody who would want to come in and worship. We, we want anybody, because I believe that's the way Jesus would be. Anybody would come in those doors and hear about what Christ has done for us. We want them here. But to be a partner with us in ministry, to be a partner locking arms, then we have to be agreed on the eight essentials. There are eight things that are essential to Christian belief that we have to be agreed upon. And that's what we're going through. In fact, we would say that these are the eight essentials for all of Christianity. That if you deviate from any of these essentials, that you're actually stepping away from the umbrella of what is called biblical Christianity. We can disagree on some non-essentials. And we can still be brothers and sisters, but when it comes to the essentials, we have to be agreed. And we have to be pulling on the same rope at the same time with the same beliefs. And so we've been going through those. We're on faith essential number six. If you don't have one of our handouts, we'd love for you to have them. If you just raise your hand, we've got Mike's going to be bringing some around and you just keep your hand up till he gets to you because we want you to have one so that you can take these things home and remember and ponder and look up scriptures that we blow through at a very rapid rate we want you to be able to go back and study on those keep your hands up he's still busy so we're on essential number six we're on essential number six but since we know that a lot of time has passed a lot of water has gone under the bridge we're going to do a little catch up this morning and go through essentials one through five as we begin into this essential number six our first essential that we studied or we, we looked into has to do with the scripture so let's on the board or on the on the monitors up here let's just see these and if you want to read them out loud together with me feel free to do so essential number one the bible alone is authoritative it is inspired and inerrant in the original documents we believe that the bible is the only sacred document that is supernatural We understand that there are other scriptures to other religions, but we believe that the Bible, the originals as they were penned originally, are the only supernatural words of God who is the only God. And that book, the Bible, contains for us all the truth that God intended for us to know about him and about ourselves and how we are to relate to him. We get that the Bible teaches nothing about arithmetic. 
We understand that. We get that the Bible teaches nothing about gravity. Both truths and those types of truths we recognize will always work out. We don't have a problem with that because we believe God has revealed himself as creator and that God has put into order all of those truths that can be measured and we know they are truth because they're God's truth. But anything in scripture or anything, any truth statement that is made in mankind has to filter through scripture. And if scripture says it is false, then it is false because the Bible has authority and all other truths have to filter through the scripture. If you try to filter gravity through the scripture... The scripture won't tell you that gravity does not exist. Gravity can be intact in our world. And it can be seen as true because the scripture does not contradict it. Except when it says that the son of God defied gravity by walking on the water. And then what must be true? Scripture must be true. And gravity must submit to a sovereign God. The Bible alone is authoritative. All right, essential number two. And we'll say this together if you want. God is Trinity. One God eternally existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't understand this. We just believe that Scripture teaches this, that there is one God and only one. And yet he is three persons, one God, one what, existing in three eternal who's, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It can't be explained. There's nothing else in our world that is one and three. But God has revealed that both the Father and the Son and the Spirit, uniquely distinct yet all sharing and participating in the one deity known and revealed as the I am that I am, Yahweh, the God of the scriptures, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, you and I, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't understand it. We just believe that's what scripture teaches. To deviate from that, to say that there is one God who puts on three sets of clothes His father clothes, his son clothes, his spirit. There's only one God just with three outfits. That's what would be known as heresy. That is not how God has revealed himself. We don't have to understand it. We just have to believe what he said. Essential number three says, Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. How can a cup be fully Dr. Pepper and fully sweet tea at the same time. It it can't be. It can be half and half, and I know she's filled up your glass before with sweet tea, and you drank it, and like, what is it? But it's not 100% of anything. It can't be 100% of two things, because there's nothing else in our world that can explain what God the Son did when he emptied himself. The Scripture says he emptied himself Whatever that means, we, we think it means of, of, of his right to utilize what he is as God. He didn't stop being God. He just set aside his right to be God how he saw fit and he stepped into humanity. The incarnation that we celebrate at Christmas time. He became man in every respect as you and I. He was as human as you and 
I are human with only one exception. We are corrupted by sin to our very nature. He was not. He was separate from sin, yet fully human. And his holy humanness separated from sin allowed him to be a perfect sacrifice and his deity as God the son made his sacrifice sufficient for all and so we see Jesus Christ and understand him not as a mishmash not as a superhuman not as some sort of 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 disguise I'm really God but I'm disguising myself as man no we believe that Jesus Christ is fully 100% God having never changed who he was as God and fully man when he became human at the incarnation. That's doctrinal essential number three. And there are a lot of things that we talked about. I'll refer you back to the lesson online. It should already be there. There are a lot of things that we believe about Jesus today that are ancient heresies that are simply not true to the understanding of the orthodox Jesus. And so we confess that he is both God and man, not a mixture, both and the same. Essential number four says, the human race is completely lost and dead spiritually. We believe that scripture teaches that because of Adam's sin and Eve's sin, that all of mankind has received the guilt of sin from Adam and Eve, that that guilt was passed down from one to the next, and that we have also received a corrupted sin nature, corrupted to the fact that we can't change ourselves. No matter how hard we try to clean it up, we are corrupt from top to bottom. There is no good thing within us because we are broken by sin. And that extends to everyone, including the most righteous person that you can imagine that have done all the most wonderful things that could be possible. They too were born dead in their sin, incapable of doing anything about their condition. And then essential number five says, salvation, however, has been made possible by the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. God seeing his creation and knowing that they were indeed dead in their sin, incapable of making right what is wrong with me. God in his grace, God in his mercy, God by his compassionate love made salvation for humanity possible simply by the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. He took our sin on himself and he paid for it on the cross. And he was raised from the dead in demonstration that that sacrifice was sufficient, that sin's debt has been paid, and that he is alive, victorious again. Salvation comes only by the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Jesus. On those same heels, 
We will talk a little bit about it again today. We reach essential number six. That means we got this one and two more to go, and we'll be complete with this series. Essential number six. Let's say this out loud together. Salvation is received by faith alone in Christ alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. We know how salvation has been made possible. It's been made possible by the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Jesus. Well, how does that salvation come from what God has provided to me who needs it? And we believe that scripture clearly and definitely teaches that we can be saved only by faith and only by faith in Jesus Christ. So let's jump into this. We're actually going to break down this statement and we're going to go kind of backwards in the statement as we break it down in your handout. We're going to start off with what does it mean in Christ alone? Then we're going to move to what does it mean by faith alone? And then lastly, we're going to talk about what it means to be receiving salvation. What exactly, who's, who's doing the taking and how is that salvation being conferred to us? But let's start with in Christ alone. So if you got your hand out, your answers will be up on the board. Let's do this together. In Christ alone, it's the objective basis for God's salvation. It's the objective basis. Now, what do we mean? Well, when you talk about objective and subjective, there are things that are, that are concrete, and that means they're objective. There's no argument about these. These are truth statements, kind of like what is two plus two. Two plus two is objectively four. Okay, there's no, there's no arguing with that. No matter how you do it, it's going to come out for because it's an objective truth. It's true in and of itself. Subjectivity is which automobile manufacturer is the better, Ford, Chevy, Dodge. And already you go, well, I know the answer to that. It's you fill in the blank. But that's not necessarily true because that is subjective to what you think. In Christ alone is the objective basis. That means however you try to add up salvation, it's always going to funnel out as in Christ alone. Christ's work is the only option. You've heard folks say there are many roads. So you're a believer in Jesus. I'm a believer in Muhammad or I'm a believer in Allah through Muhammad. I'm a believer in, in this particular religion. I'm, I'm a participant in this particular uh, movement. And so you've got your way and we just feel like eventually they'll all end up at the same place. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse number six, Jesus said to him in the upper room, he was talking to his disciples and he was telling them, I'm going away and you're going to follow me. And they're going to go, how, how are we going to find you? How are we going to know the way? Jesus said, I am the way I am the truth. I'm the life. And no one comes to the father unless they come through me. No one gets to God unless they go through me. Jesus referred to himself at one point in the gospel as the door to the sheep. The door opens up to the sheepfold and the sheep can only get into the fold if they go through the door. And Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the objective basis for God's salvation. My death, my resurrection, me incarnate, the God man. I am the only 
option. But Christ's work is about substitution and resurrection. We see in 1 Corinthians 15, I know there's a longer passage. I'm just going to read verses 3 through 4, where we see it's about substitution and resurrection. Paul says, for I deliver to you as of first importance. There's nothing more important than what I'm going to tell you, Paul says. And that is uh, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scripture. Christ Jesus died for our sins, was buried and was raised. And he goes on to say, and he was seen by the 12 and he was seen by 500 folks at one time. And lastly, he was seen by me and I wasn't even looking for him. So he's been crucified and buried and raised for our sins. Christ's work is the only option and Christ's work is about a substitute for you. Jesus took your place paying for your sin and was raised to demonstrate to all who would ever ask. Steve, was Jesus crucifixion sufficient for your sin and he gives us the opportunity to go yes it will how do you know because he's alive God received that he's been raised for my justification so it's the objective basis it's the only option it's about substitution resurrection Christ's work next is the result of God's grace You didn't deserve this. What we talked about before, we talked about the difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. And there was certainly mercy involved in salvation. God not giving us what we deserve because of our sin. But grace is what pushed God to make salvation possible. It's that favor that he shows that is undeserved. It is grace is that, 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 that what we receive that we don't reserve. It's not just not getting what we do deserve. It's getting what we don't deserve. And salvation, this in Christ alone is 100% totally and completely an act of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but God being rich in mercy, there it is, because of the great love for which he loved us, those that don't deserve it, even when we were, what we went back to what, essential number four? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive, or he made us alive together with Christ by grace, you've been saved. If you know Jesus as your Savior and you're sitting here as a a born-again believer in Jesus Christ and you know your sins have been forgiven and somebody asks you, well, how are you saved? Don't you dare say, I was saved by praying the sinner's prayer. No, ma'am. No, sir. You were saved by God's grace alone. God brought you into the family, giving you what you did not deserve. And you did nothing for it. He did what was needed for you by his grace in Christ alone. It's the objective, the only, the one, the singular basis for God's salvation. All roads do not lead to one place. 
All roads do not lead. Say that with me. All roads do not lead to want to the same place. They don't lead there. Only Christ. Next. What does it mean by faith alone? By faith alone is the subjective vehicle of man's response. You see, in Christ, salvation has been made possible. I'll refer you to essential number five. Salvation has been made possible by the substitutionary death, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's been made possible. How do we receive it? How does it become mine? The Bible says by faith alone. It's the subjective vehicle. That doesn't mean that it's subjective Like I referred to earlier, whether it's how you feel about it. Like, I don't want to get in that vehicle. I'd rather get in another vehicle. But what I mean by subjective means it is, it's subjective to your response. God is not going to force salvation on you. You have forced things on your children before. You have had them at different ages, not wanting to wear the thing that you wanted them to wear. I remember when we lived in Georgia, Rhett was very small and we had this, y'all have seen a Christmas story, right? You've seen those suits that they would wear, you know, those big puffy suits. Well, we had this puffy suit that we wanted Rhett to be in because it's colder in Georgia than it is in Florida. And we felt he needed to be in this thing. And I can just remember the fights we used to have forcing him into this puffy onesie that would be pulled tight around him where he couldn't even move. I wouldn't want to be in the thing either. That's not how salvation works. God does not put you between his knees and hold you around his arm and force his salvation on you. There is a response that is required. The scripture calls it faith. It's subjective on your response. Faith, what is it? It, It's it's a word that that can kind of get lost in explanation. But as best as I can do, I define faith as trust or belief. It's the believer's confidence in the truth, the reliability and the dependability of Christ's work. It's, It's not this mental assent you know, sometimes you can come up to someone and you can go, hey, brother, have you heard about Jesus? No, I haven't. Well, he died for you and he rose again. And he wants to save you. Wouldn't you like to be saved? Sure. Well, what, here, what I need to do? Well, just say these words. Dear, dear, Lord, Je- dear Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I'm a confess I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead for my, for my justification. I believe you rose from the dead for my justification whatever that means. And you know, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. Well, praise God, brother. And you know, Facebook, you know, just led Brett to the Lord. Praise God. He's a new believer. Why? Well, because he prayed to receive Jesus. That doesn't necessitate faith. Faith is when a believer is exposed to truth. And, and, and let me back up, let me back up and say it this way. Faith is when a sinner is exposed to truth and believes in their heart what truth has shared with them and believes and has confidence in the truth of Christ, who he is and what he has done and what he did it for. 
faith is something that I can't look at you and say, yep, you've got faith. I can't say that. You know why? Because I can't see the heart. We learn in 1 Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but what does God look at? God looks at the heart. Faith is a heart confidence. Not this muscle. Faith is a, a, a heart, a, 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 a inward confidence that what God has said about me is true and that what he has done for me is true and that he wants me to be in right relationship with him through belief and I begin to move toward that truth. That's a response of faith. It's not just believing facts. If I ask somebody, do you believe in God? They may say, well, yeah, I believe in God, but what does that even mean? That doesn't mean that they're a believer in Christ. That certainly doesn't mean they've exercised faith in the crucified and risen Jesus. But if you're gonna be saved, it's because you've exercised faith, belief, confidence in the truth, the reliability, and the dependability of Christ's work. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, for by grace you've been saved, by God's grace you've been saved. How did God's gracious salvation get conferred to you? By faith. It's by God's grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it's the gift of God. It's not a work. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. We are saved by God's grace through faith. I don't want to create doubt in your heart about your salvation. That's not my job. But faith is not just some memory you have of, of something you may or may not have done at some point in your childhood. Faith is about confidence in what God says about you and what he says about Jesus and how we respond to that. Have you ever exercised faith, believing faith in Jesus? John chapter five, verse 24. Truly, truly, Jesus said, I say unto you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what, class? Eternal life. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, I am Messiah. And and I am come to do for you. You don't even get what I'm coming from, but I want you to follow me. And there were some who did. And they just simply went, okay, Lord, whatever you say, I believe. That's saving faith. That's following Christ by faith. That's receiving or taking what he has said and making it mine. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes. Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, you're saved. No, no, no. Whoever has exercised confident dependable, reliable faith in Jesus. Whoever believes that I am what I say I am and I'm doing what I've said I'm doing, whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. 
Then Acts 10, verses 39 through 43. I'm going to read only verse number 43, but Paul is explaining to a group of, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Peter's explaining to a group of folks about this Jesus who has come. He's telling about this Jesus who has come and, and how he's come through the, the promises and, and, and that he had given his life. Verse number 43 of Acts 10 says, To him, talking about Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He says this one Jesus, it's who the Old Testament's been talking about the whole time. Whoever receives him can be forgiven. It's not just a Jesus t-shirt. It's not just coming to church. We want folks in church. It's not about joining a small group, a life group. Those are great. We want folks to do that. It's not about things we do or try. It's about what we've received by faith, believing. By God's grace, we're saved when we exercise faith. Next, anything, it, it kind of, it, it it falls into this. Anything a believer tries to do in order to receive God's saving grace would be a work and completely contrary to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift, not of works. Because if you work for it, what will you do? You will boast in it. You will be confident in what you've done to earn your salvation. You can't earn your salvation because you are dead in your sin. Anything we try to do to gain God's salvation is a work. This includes any sacramental systems. You say, well, where do sacramental systems exist? They exist anywhere in any assembly where anyone says that to believe in Jesus requires that you do these things. Those things can be great opportunities and expressions of worship, but none of them will ever save. Let's go back to Galatians. Some of y'all were here through the whole preaching of Galatians. What was Paul consistently saying? He was consistently saying some folks have come into this assembly and have told you that the only way you can be saved is through the law act of what, class? Circumcision. You gotta be circumcised. Yes, I know what you believe, but for it to be actual, you've got to do this thing. And what was Paul doing? Paul was pulling his hair out because that not only is not the gospel, that is a perversion of what he came and taught them. It's not about what you do to your body. It's not about what you put inside your mouth. It's not about what you do to another person or say or what objects you're plunged into or out of. None of that stuff saves you, only faith. Can we say that together? Only faith. Say it again. Only faith. Is this my opinion? No, it's God's word. And anything you try to do to gain that is going to leave you in a loss. So that includes sacramental, sacramental systems. It also includes things like, well, I prayed a prayer or I was baptized. Great. A lot of folks praying a lot of prayers all the time, every day. 
There are many people been baptized in all manner of ways and times and places. None of that stuff saves you. Well, I went forward and, and the preacher said, and I said what he said, and that's what saved me. No, ma'am. No, that is not what saved you. What saves you is God's grace and the faith. Now, you say, well, don't you have to confess with your mouth? Oh, yeah. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I'm not saying that, that your expression of faith through your mouth is not that, that means of, of getting it expressed, but I don't, I don't know that you have to be saved by opening your mouth, but you, you get saved by faith, you're going to open your mouth. You're going to confess him as Lord because the salvation is that, is that transformation. As soon as your, see, I, I just firmly believe that as soon as you in your heart submit wholly to what God has said, he saves you even before you can get it out of your mouth. But if he saves you, you're going to get it out of your mouth at some point in time. So it's not by any work, by any system, it's only by faith. Now you say, well, what about, let me just read it. What about James? And James talks about faith and works. James 2, 14 to 16 says, what good is it, my brothers? This is the Lord's brother. And by the way, we're going to be doing the, the book of James in the next few weeks. So just hang on. We're going to deal with all this in, in, uh, in detail. But James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says his faith, uh, he has faith but does not have works? So Paul's talking about folks that try to work for salvation. Now, James is talking about folks who have said they have exercised faith in Jesus, but it has had no impact on their life whatsoever. Well, I got faith. I don't have to have works. I don't have to do anything. I just got to have faith. James says, what good is your faith? Can that faith save him? Question mark. The question mark there kind of lends that rhetorical question where you'll answer, no, no, that faith won't save him. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And he continues, James like, what good is it you tell me I have faith in Jesus? I'm, a, I'm saved by God's grace by faith in Jesus, but you're living just like you've always lived with no change whatsoever in your life. There's no fruit. There's no visible evidence. You're not confessing Jesus as Lord unless it's helping you. I'm just telling, James was basically going, I'm just telling you, I don't know that I'd put much stock in your faith. If your faith has had no effect on your life, then are you telling me you're outside of God's word that says whoever is in Christ is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come? You go, yeah, but not me. I'm an anomaly, Kevin. I'm the one who can be saved and it have no effect whatsoever on my life. Not according to God's word. So you say, well, what about what's he saying? So then we got to work to be saved? No, no. James is not talking about works to be saved. These are works that come from faith, not works that save. James is talking about works that come after faith, works as a natural expression of faith that has happened, not works that save. 
Not saving works, but salvation that results in works. So don't be hooked up. Don't be bothered by what James says. Him and Paul were talking about the same salvation, just coming at it from two different angles using similar language. What about Romans 4, 1 through 5? What does it say? It says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Paul's saying, let's think about, let's think about this faith thing. What did Abraham receive according to his flesh? Verse number two, for if Abraham was justified by works, what were Abraham's works? It was circumcision, okay? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, that his salvation came by submitting himself to a, a physical act of, of surgery. That's what, I, that's what saved me because I let God exercise surgery on my body. And he's like, no, no, he could boast about that. He could brag about that but not before God. For what does scripture say? The scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was made righteous by faith. By faith, it was counted unto him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. If you work for it, it's not a gift. It's someone giving you what you deserve. And the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. How do we receive this salvation? By faith alone. So that says God's salvation is always by faith alone, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You say, well, how was Moses? How was David? How was Abraham? How were all, well, all those people not saved because they had no concept of Jesus. But you know what they did have? They did have God's word. And when God said it, they believed it. And that is faith in advance of Christ who was to come. So how were they saved in the Old Testament? By faith. How are we saved in the New Testament time? By faith. God's grace And the vehicle of faith response. What about repentance? What is that? I've heard that word used before. Well, let's talk about repentance. When scripture uses the word repentance, it's about a change of mind. Repentance. And so you'll you'll hear folks say, well, if you tell them to believe, don't forget to tell them about repenting. That is correct, but I don't think it's two different things. I think it's faith and repentance. It's a repentant faith. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna have saving faith, if I'm gonna uh, exercise saving faith, you know what I've got to recognize about myself? What God has said about me. If God says you're a sinner, I gotta recognize I'm a sinner. And God goes, I don't want you being a sinner. I go, you know what? I, I am a sinner and I don't wanna be a sinner. And I'm, I'm sorry for my sin. I don't wanna be someone who continues to just walk in sin. See, saving faith has repentance as a part of it because that's part of the belief. You're a sinner. You need salvation and you can't save yourself. But Jesus has died in your place and for your sin so that you might be forgiven and set free from your sin. Is that something that you would want and receive as truth? And that repentant heart doesn't say, I'd love to go to heaven when I die. 
and live like I want on the earth. That's not repentance and that ain't faith. But saving faith says, I, I want to be right with a holy God and he's providing forgiveness and I want to be forgiven and I don't want to be what he don't want me to be and I want to receive repentance. What is repentance? It's changing your mind. It's turning away from sin to Christ. What is Acts chapter number three, verse 19 says? It says, repent therefore. Peter's saying, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Peter's saying, here's what he was saying. You guys killed the Messiah. You killed him. But guess what? In your killing him, he was actually dying for your sin. Now, if you'll repent, if you'll be sorry for that, you don't have to say, well, God, you'll never have mercy on me because I'm the one who killed the Messiah. No, repent, turn from your sin. And guess what? By faith, he'll blot your sins out. Now, has, has anybody physically participated in the killing of Jesus, which I would think would be like one of the worst things that anybody could do. Anybody, I'm not gonna argue spiritually. Yeah, we were all spiritually guilty. But you're going, no, I I didn't, I didn't nail, I didn't whip, I didn't, okay. Well, is there there anything you can do that won't be forgiven by repentance? Absolutely not. What do we do? We receive by faith what God has said. And he says, I love you. And I've extended mercy and grace and provided salvation that you can have if you'll only believe. If you'll turn toward me and you'll submit yourself to what I've said about you and about me and about us, then I'll bring you into my family. And it doesn't matter what baggage you got. It can be settled and cleansed by faith alone. Repentance Faith, both faith and repentance are empowered by God and neither are a human work or effort. That you can have faith, that you can repent is a gift from God and not something that you can do on your own. Because you won't, you're dead and you're an enemy of God. But when he turns that light on and shows you, you can respond by faith. Now, let me, let me just bring up a couple of errors. And these are things that you may hear. There are two errors in this idea of faith. They are easy believism, that's number one. And they are lordship salvation, number two. Those, that's language that's been used by people to describe two errors. The easy believism era error says what I mentioned before. Hey, if you'll just come forward and right here on this card tells you what you need to say. You just say the words on these cards and you can be saved and I'll write my name on it and I'll put our church name and the date and you take that, put it in your wallet. That way you'll know. That way you'll know that uh, that's where that's, that's where you got saved and that's when it happened and that's what you got. That's easy believism. And that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught salvation by faith. Or there's the error of lordship salvation lordship salvation says you can't be saved unless you make jesus your lord okay that's like saying you can't be born unless you come home and start carrying your weight around the house you can't be a part of our family unless you can come home and vacuum and you know brother garcia no there's lots of folks in your family that can't vacuum yet right but that's that's silly that's language that's being unhealthily used salvation is by faith 
Saving faith will recognize Jesus as Lord. And as you mature in your salvation, you will absolutely see him become more and more Lord. So don't get caught up in either one of those errors. In Christ alone, by faith alone, salvation is received. Salvation is received. This is God's act. You, you don't go snatch salvation from God. We receive it by God's gracious act. Justification. It's when God declares us to be righteous. We've seen in, in, uh, in Romans and Galatians, we preach through Galatians that God justifies us by his, by his work of grace. Justification is God changing the believer's status. If you want to know more about that, go back and listen to Galatians. It's, it's God's act of declaring the one who is dead in their rights as a sinner but because of what Christ did for them and because of saving faith God can say I will declare you righteous because of what he's done for you and I will place on his account what you deserve that's justification salvation is received by declaration when we exercise faith in Jesus, God declares that we're righteous. Now, I know the enemy tells you you're not. But, but who has the authority in this conversation? The one and only, the God who declares. Let's talk about imputation. Imputation is a legal credit to an account. It means Christ's righteousness is applied to the believer's account, imputed. Well, wait a minute. I, I think that word was used back in essential number three or four about the human race having guilt from Adam and Eve imputed on us. That guilt that we weren't there in the garden, but it's been given to me. And I'm, I'm the holder of this guilt because of imputation. That's right. Salvation is also imputed. It's imputed through righteousness, that righteousness of Christ being applied to your account. You ever got a bank statement or an ATM receipt and it pops out and you like look at the number and you're like, okay, I know that's not the number I had in there. Wow, where did all those zeros come from? I would strongly encourage you not to go on a shopping spree on the basis of those numbers. But what if it was true? Like, what if it was right? He looked like, what? what? I, I know I had a one in those numbers, but I didn't, I never had 12 zeros behind it. What if that were true? You would think, man, that's what's true in salvation. God has applied to your account all of the righteousness of Christ provided in your place and for your sin through his death and resurrection. You can look up these verses when you have time. What about adoption? Adoption is what happens when one takes another's child and legally makes him or her their own. It's when they take another's child 
They were born to another set of parents, but adoption, that one comes and says, I'll take him. I'll take her. I'll make them my own. Some of you have been adopted. You're living in a, you lived in an adopted home, and, and, and I hope that that was a glorious thing for you. Because the idea of God bringing us home, left for dead, and God putting us into his family, that's adoption. It, it wasn't, well, they were born to me and I just got to live with them. I, mean, I don't know about, no, this is, I came and got you and I brought you home on purpose. Salvation is received through justification, adoption, imputation. It's when a believer is adopted by God resulting in, in access, inheritance, and responsibility. I got access to my father. I got an inheritance. I, I got stuff I never had. And, but, but with all that comes what? Responsibility. <clears throat> Responsibility to get into the family? No. Respo- I mean, no. He came and got you out of the gutter and brought you home and made you his child. Now, because you're his child, now we've got some responsibilities expectations this is hey son this is how my family operates and what's my responsibility to go okay dad I, w- I want to do what you want to do not to be in the family but because I'm in the family salvation is received by faith alone in Christ alone now the first, a- the first ask is going to be this. Are you here today having never exercised faith in Jesus? Because if you are, i got such great news for you. What God's word has said about you is true. You're dead in your sin. You can't save yourself. You're condemned. If you die in your sin, God's word says you will be separated from him in a place that we believe is literally hell. Stay tuned for essential number seven. But that's not what he wants. He's proven that's not what he wants by making a way possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus so that you might be forgiven. And it's objective. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. But it's got to be received by faith. If you never trusted Jesus as your Savior... If you've never submitted to what he says about you, him, and y'all, today would be a great day to come to know him. That invitation is available, and all you got to do is receive it. Believe. Maybe you're here, and you are a child of God. Here's some practical things for you to think about. Number one, when you share the gospel with others, don't create hoops for them to jump through. Don't share the gospel in in a way that makes them think that somehow they've got to clean up to get it. Don't make them think that somehow they got to come to this church to find it, like that we've got it up on a shelf somewhere in this church. We'll give it to them if they show up. Don't create hoops for people to jump through. Show them Jesus. Tell them what God has said about us all, what God has said about himself and what is possible through God's gracious act. Second, Make certain that your understanding of the gospel is defined by God's grace, 
Christ's work and faith alone. Make sure when you tell the gospel story, this is, this is God's grace. This is Christ's work, and it's by faith. And you can't do anything to get it other than believe. Third, allow God to do his work in bringing about faith in others. Don't pressure people to say a prayer. Let, let God do the convicting. He's real good at it. In fact, he's the only one who can. Just tell him what God says. Tell him what God's word, show him. Let him draw them to the place of repentance. Because when he does that, they want to. And they want him. And I'm telling you, there's a whole lot more excitement in letting them go, well, can I, can I be a Christian? Yeah, you can. Than there is trying to pressure them into doing something that may or may not be real. Then lastly, if you're a child of God, stop trying to earn his favor. You already got it. You already got it. It's yours. It's his love that continues to extend to those that he has brought into his friends. Quit trying to earn his favor. Live for him because you're his child, but not to get what is already yours. Step into that. Live in that. Walk in that. Salvation is received by faith alone in Christ alone. May we all have accepted that truth. May we all communicate it with accuracy. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the truth that is salvation in the substitutionary death and bodily resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for your provision. And God, we want to ask that in the stillness of the moment that you will encourage everyone that has ever trusted Jesus by faith believing that we will communicate that salvation can only be received by faith and faith in Jesus. Father, in the stillness of this minute, there is that one that doesn't know Jesus yet by faith pray you draw them, that you pull them and that you'll show them what he's saying is true. It's my word. God, give them the courage, give them the, 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 the desire to just confess Jesus as Savior that they need because of their sin and receive what you've provided if you're here today and that's you you can trust Jesus right there it's about what you believe and are confident in and I would hope that if you trust Jesus for the first time today that you let me know before you leave just come by and say hey that was me God I'd love to pray for you and I'd love to walk with you and start a conversation Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in 2019. We thank you for what you did in 2018. We know you're faithful. We know you're true. You are, you are sovereign. You are absolutely going to continue your plan and your purpose. May we be found in the middle of it, faithful to what you've called us to do. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.